And uh, and obviously nothing comes of it. He keeps, you know, Mom, the meatloaf. <laughs> oh. Eventually escalates, and then he says, "I never know what he's doing." Today. And I had no clue what what the approach was. So right. And then on top of that, everything else was just, ugh. Yeah. Um. I think talking about talking about transfers, the one the one thing that really I think calmed some people down but actually frustrated other people was when Klopp came out and said you know just trust us there's there's a plan um and I think I think his supporters were very much you know we live and die week to week or in in our case every three days um because we have a fucking game every three days um the we we live and die by each game and mm-hmm. and it's you know Klopp has has a longer view of it I think than we do um, yeah but it's tough to take when it when the window comes and goes and it's obvious that there's just glaring holes in the squad um, and a player's available even if it is for a shitload of money a player's available and it's like hey this could answer some of our problems short term like let's just go get him pay the money like who gives a shit. And uh, well, I, and I think I felt burned. I felt burned by that because it was, it was all like, oh, FSG's not coughing up the money. And then I was a little bit relieved whenever the their, their CEO came forward and was like seventy million euros yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, see, it's not, it's not just us, you know. Right. I was trying to find some silver like lining in it. And now, and now there's what it's like. Reports that the share is going to go to. I don't know, China. like a Chinese club for 34 million pounds. And in that case, it's like, hang on, pump the fucking brakes for a second. Right. You know, right. 34 million, that, that was okay. That you know, if we're going to call 2830, you know, that's okay. But, you know, the 70 million euros, that was, that's a different story. That was absurd. But, yeah, but... So that, if, if it actually goes through, which, you know, right now it's just, it's like the Daily Mail or something put it out there. Right. So, you know, if that goes through, I think it's even more. You know, just twit. The knife has already been, you know, just jabbed between a rib, <laughs> twisted about 180 degrees, and that would just be a good night. Another 90 degree turn for it. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I guess there's not much to say about transfers because it it was. Well, I guess there might be some some decent news on transfers. We've gotten a little bit of a potential, maybe, maybe. Maybe Joel Matip signed, maybe like a FIFA, like a FIFA esque move, a little bit, like bringing in Joel Matip on the free because you know in FIFA what do you do? You sign the six foot five center back or whatever. So you win every <laughs> every cleared head ball. But uh, I, I mean, no, we got to we we have issues everywhere. Yes. our our strikers can't finish. Yep, our attackers can't score goals or create, despite what some people on Twitter think. Apparently, Adam Lallana doesn't need to score goals or provide let's, assists. But that let's talk about Adam. Lallana. <laughs> let's talk about you want to go? You want to go? Okay, try let's, try so let's talk Lallana. about Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana signed for twenty-five million pounds from Southampton. Has that's a big boy fee too. That's a big boy. One goal, <laughs> and uh, 
one was it just the one assist that he has? No, he had the accidental assist to uh the accidental touch through uh on uh earlier in the season, right? Or not early in the, the season. But not. not that long ago. It hit off his toe, like incidentally, and rolled through for someone to score. But whatever. Adam Alana. Like a Geico commercial. Adam Alana, you take what you can get. <laughs> and if it's That's a, just what you do. If it's a mishit <laughs> winner against Norwich, then then that's that's what you take, I guess. But so Adam Alana <laughs> Adam Alana uh was defended on Twitter by a certain user. I don't I don't know who came in to defend him. Um Keep going, I'm trying to dig it up. But the the general gist of their argument was that Adam Alana uh was being judged strictly on on goals and assists and not being judged on you know how good his pressing game is and i think something that we've talked about previously is we know Lalana presses well like there's no question about about the fact that Lalana wins the ball high up the field but i think that's even more damning to Lalana because he doesn't create anything out of it so even in a situation where he is winning the ball back from in midfield or def- or you know in the attacking third he's still not able to create even with numbers and like a numbers advantage or a uh tempo i guess advantage where he's won the ball so high up the field that he's now in an attacking position he still can't create anything so he's basically fucking worthless because <laughs> if he presses he can press all day and win the ball back but if it takes someone else getting the ball in order to create anything then he, you know, cut out the middle, man. Get someone else on there who can press and can create or score himself. Like how, how cheap would it be? Just, I mean, that's that's basically all. And they're not even pressing that well. I think maybe who's it for the Anfield Index or Gags or whatever yeah, who does all the pressing stats? Anfield Index. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even think we're pressing that well just by watching it. So what is what is the point? Like you could get like Milner, Lalana. I mean, even to a certain extent, Hendo, and we can talk about. I mean, maybe the impact on injuries and form right. to a lot of our players. But what's the point? I mean, you you called it out perfectly. Like the difference between us and Leicester was just Mares and Vardy. Just you know, not even necessarily with pace on the counter. But just being able to to pop something up quickly, and that's we should be scoring goals if you right. are able to disrupt the opponent's play, if you can press them into mistakes. Like we're we're still kind of doing that, not as well as we were doing whenever Klopp first came in. Right. But we're we're getting nothing, nothing out of it, and that just screams, like you said, loudly about how under underperforming or maybe the the ceiling that Lalana's hit at this level, but also for like Milner and. Maybe even Henderson lately too. It's just, oh, it's it's so bad in the midfield. It's bad everywhere. It is now. I like. I won't make excuses. I guess for the for the squad. Um, I think when you look at when you look at this team, they are just crying out for 
a break in games. They need so desperately just <laughs> to not play mm-hmm. um, every three days. It's been so frequent that when an injured player does come back, he's he's straight into the squad. And now, you know, you have a Hendo who's like maybe 80% healthy with the heel thing. Um He's played every game and he comes out around the like 70th minute or so, like between the 65th yeah. and the 75th minute. Um, even Milner, who, you know, was like a squad player for City, he's played a shitload of minutes. Emre Chan's played a shitload of minutes. Lucas, even in the last probably two months, has played a ridiculous amount of games. Um and I think that goes into one of the points that I put on the outline, which is, is Joe Allen our best player right now? And I think, I think that plays a part because Joe doesn't, but Joe Allen, when he comes on, he runs around, he presses, he makes good passes, he makes good decisions and he just looks fresh. Like he looks yeah. like he hasn't played you know, 4,000 minutes in the last two months, um, like everyone else. And, uh, so I think it's pretty obvious that depth wise we're struggling, but it's also, it's also, I think obvious that the injuries have hurt the squad. Now that doesn't excuse players like Lalana because Lalana hasn't played that regularly compared to some of the guys and he's still not producing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't excuse him. Oh. It doesn't excuse, I would say, Jordan Ibe even. Um, Jordan Ibe's got the excuse of what? He's still as young as some of 19. the... Yeah, some of our... <laughs> some of the players that we roll out there. He's younger, for than, the, he, that he's four years younger expect- than Zhao Teixeira, just to be clear. <laughs> I was convinced Zhao Teixeira was, was 19, 20 years old. And then he turns <laughs> out he's 23, and I'm like, all right, there's... there's well, it was a great Suso. one of the best tweets I've seen all year, where it was like you know heir to heir to Suso in the realm of Pacheco or something like that, and it was just it was so true because uh, we've got I mean I don't know what it we've got all these these talented players that you know Pacheco was a and maybe was was Suso a, a kind of lingering player from from Rafa's days that he yeah. brought in. And they just didn't didn't amount to anything. So maybe I don't know. Maybe we need that with with Klopp. Like if you bring those players in, you have to be the one to develop them. Right. But you can see glimpses of talent there. But yeah, I think I think Ibe gets Ibe gets a lot of uh, grief for his level of performance. But I mean, you have I mean, and and football these days, you've got to be whether you're 19 or. 23 or 25 once you show a glimpse of talent right. you can you can only improve otherwise you write them off so but no i love i love i love ibe and so I, he he at least he shows us something right. but we that that's where we're crying out for it if you have Firmino in a nine then you better ha- or a false nine then you better have what a, a seven and eleven that sounds like the grocery or an 11 and a seven i'll say it that way yeah and yeah. that can actually provide pace and attack with for you we don't god we've got Lalana and Milner yeah in those roles yeah and I mean we had we had Lalana against Leicester we had Lalana playing essentially as a either a 10 or a 7 yeah I, right in I behind for me now. he was he was right in behind um and the way the way that Lalana moves and the way that he 
even receives the ball, he just never puts himself in a position where he's able to create or score. He's He never receives the ball in, in positions that are dangerous. He can't beat players with a dribble. So, you know, there's no there's no worries there from a from a defensive standpoint. They know they can win the ball off him. He goes he like just completely gives the ball up under the slightest of touches. Um I think in a in a situation that he found himself in at Southampton where they're able to hit teams on the counter like yeah. who are attacking them. They have Ricky Lambert like big target man who draws the attention in the box, you know, little shifty Adam Lallana can find the little pockets of space. <laughs> but when he's atta- when he's attacking in organized defense, and the same can be said about about Benteke too, which he's a whole other conversation. Um, oh God! But but they they look clueless on how to break down a a organized defense, and the the only player I I thought in this in the game against Leicester who was offering anything going forward was Firmino. But Firmino, when he's playing in that situation as a false nine, he, like you said, he needs movement around him. He can't just, we can't always count on him to, you know, provide a moment of magic from like he did against Arsenal. Um, Because he gets in good positions, but oftentimes, like, because of the, his style of play, he's not going to be, he's not going to be just a, uh, the be all end all striker. Like, he's, he's going to, drift wide well, and, and make pocket, make space yeah. for other players to run into. And oftentimes no one runs into that space. And that's what you get when you have, when you have a false nine is that you've got a player that's instead of being like a target man or, I mean, a lot of times he's not even the focus point of the attack no. because he's drifting back and then you have the wide players, but we don't have, we don't have any wide players. We've got Ibe, who who's not you know he's not the end product yet. Right. The only other wide player that we have is what Markovic. <laughs> who's out? Who's out? And even then, they like he likes playing or he likes cutting inside, which yeah, would be exactly. preferable and, at this point. And that's yeah. I mean, you can like that's what you can like you know like Robin or something like that who can cut inside and actually score goals. We don't have we don't have any of that. Like all the closest we have to that. Is is honestly Coutinho, right. who on the left can cut into the right and maybe score, but not nearly as well as you would need if you're employing a false nine system. Right. So that I mean, that's a problem. Is that Firmino? Even at the start of the year, Firmino, maybe not right at the start, but before he started scoring goals, Firmino actually looked good, and yeah. he wasn't, you know, didn't necessarily deserve all that he was getting in terms of oh, you know, he's not scoring, he's not doing that. It. It, it's too hard to score. I mean, Benteke's coming on as, as a target man and he can't score for hours on end. Right. <laughs> and, and for Mina, that's, that's not necessarily his role to be that, you know, you have to have some other support within there and he's not even getting close to getting it. No. And, and I think when you look at the squad that we have, we have the personnel to play Firmino right in behind someone, which we, we hesitated yeah. to do the whole beginning of the season. We played Firmino wide, um, mm-hmm. and then he started playing well, he, up top. Either and too wide or top. too far back in the midfield, right? Man. And so he started producing from a striker, a, you know, a false nine kind of role, 
And everyone's like, oh, he's a striker. And it's like, no, he's not. He just, (laughs) he needs to play central and he needs to play forward. So ideally one of any of our mobile strikers. And I, and I said this on, on Twitter, uh, during the Leicester game was, or after, immediately following, I guess. Um, if Sturridge is on with Firmino, that's a completely different prospect. Like, if it's Firmino right in behind Daniel Sturridge, then it doesn't even, it doesn't even really matter that it's, yeah. that it's Milner and Henderson playing as, you know, the, the wide midfielders because... Yeah. You have movement, you have the technical ability to beat players or to find that pass. Um, and then combining with runs out of midfield from from Chan, you actually have something there. You have some kind of like creativity and, and some ability to break down a defense. But what we saw against Leicester was basically just a... It was someone who was just like banging their head against the wall <laughs> and then right next to him, the guy in blue just opened the door and walked through. Yeah. You know, it, there was no, like, we stood there just completely inept and not being able to find the solution to, like, breaking through Lester's defense. And all it took was, you know, two clear-cut chances. And Lester, it's very comfortable for them in the end, you know? Yeah. Well, well think about, like, for... Firmino, like who else is the opposing defense going to mark? Like if you've got Sturridge, like think about. Oh, I don't want to bring it up, <laughs> but Messi and Suarez. Today. Like yeah. think about like, I I think that somebody grabbed a snapshot of it. Like Suarez just making a run. the The defense is pushed so far up because obviously they've scored a, a boatload of goals right. or goals. But Suarez has all this room to run in because you have to mark. You know, obviously, we, we don't have a messy, but if you've got another focus point of the attack, right. it doesn't have to be two like out and out strikers. But like you said, if Firmino's in behind, you've got you've got some more leeway there. Right now, it's you know, if you're marking Milner, like what honestly, what do you have to do? If you're marking Lalana, Lalana is not going to make a run in behind, you know, a, a wide back. He's going to move forward, grab the ball, and then try to do a Cruyff turn or something like that, and then get get picked off easily. More credit, so there's credit too credit. much there's too much emphasis all on that one person, both in our focus point of our attack, but also for defense. Like you just mark that person, and you know, and you're fine. Now I wish our our defenders could like one <laughs> as well as well as other teams seem to mark Firmino, but let's you know that's a whole other topic. Is the uh, is scooting back to the defense. So we can we can take a take a scoot back there because I think I think we can save Benteke's our wrath for Benteke for later. Because um, <laughs> it's I mean it's everybody. Benteke yeah. is like we we've known about Benteke right. right, but now all these other problems are starting to crop up about players we thought we could depend on. Like oh Henderson comes back, you know right. midfield will receive a boost, you know and will be able to kind of control and help create from the midfield. And he's not doing that. And even, even our defenders, like, you know, I wrote on the, on the doc, something I don't want to admit is how, how just horrible Sacco's been since his injury. Yeah. Um, looking at the defense, I think uh, when we, cause I was looking at the goals 
that we conceded against Leicester. And yeah. the way that our fan base immediately looks for blame in every goal is part of the reason that it's just been such a complete like pool of absolute mm -hmm. shit. Just like our fan base is just garbage. Um, it's like the Loverin effect on every player now. Yeah. You know, back when Loverin was, you know, he couldn't, you know, even if he puts a foot right, nobody pays attention to it. If he fucks up, it's the end of the world. And now it's the same for Mignolet, for Moreno, for Sacco, for, you know, for everybody. So that's now spread like yeah, the disease going around for infants in Texas. It just hit Texas or whatever. Is that a, that, that's a downer. That's a downer. That's a little bit, I don't that's a little bit heavy. <laughs> that's how I feel right now. Like we're infected. We're infected with no, nah, I won't say it. But, yeah. yeah, no, I, I like because I under I understand it. So in in the first goal, I looked at it a lot because that first goal, obviously, it's a stunning hit from Vardy. They, I mean, it's a ridiculous strike. Oh yeah, and and so I looked at it because as the ball comes over the top from Mares, Vardy runs onto it. Sacco is chasing Vardy back, but Vardy's been played onside. Um, and Sacco's not closing the ball down. It's not going to happen. He's not going to catch him. Lovren steps across as he should have, as he should have. He steps across, but as Vardy lines up for the shot, Lovren backs off because the alternative is that Vardy is going to skip past Lovren and be one-on-one -on -one with Mignolet. Yeah. So Lovren steps out, but as he sees him lining up for a shot from, you know, closer to 30 yards than 20, He's like, fine, I'll let him have a shot from here because yeah. that's the better option. Otherwise, he he keeps running and is one-on-one -on -one with the keeper or I take a red. So mm -hmm. um, so I think Lovren you know, does the right thing in that situation where he almost urges him to shoot from that position because it's such a low percentage shot. He's hitting it on the volley. Like, yeah. the odds of him beating Mignolet from that distance are very low, and he strikes it perfectly, and it goes in. And everyone was saying, you know, why is Mignolet off his line and stuff? Like, you know, when a guy's 30 yards out, you're not standing yeah. on your goal line, you know, anticipating the shot. So I just, I, I think sometimes you just, from from our perspective, you kind of have to say like, well, holy shit, you know, Vardy beat us with a yeah. quite spectacular goal. And uh, I wish it would have been anybody else, though. Like, I, I just wish it had. I, I just wish it had. I just wish it had flipped. Because if Vardy lofts the ball over the top and Mares strikes that, then I would have been very yeah. pleased. We love Mares. We hate Vardy. I love Mares, but, but I also like, want Mares to sign for us. So that's a whole other. I mean, yeah, I'll take him. I'll, <laughs> I'll take him, but then he would immediately become decline. shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, no, there's no, there's no. If you if you hit the goal of the season. Then there's nobody at fault. If that's a goal of the season, right. or, you know, or it's in one contention of the goals for the goals yeah, of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, might, it might not be, but you know, they were comparing it to the other ones too. But like Mignolet was number one. It, it's kind of tough to tell from the replays, but he's not that far off his line, right? No. He's in. You know, it's not like he got chipped. It was just an unbelievable volley that he hit. Yeah. And the only possible complaint you could have is Leverin. Oh, maybe you should have gotten a little bit closer. Right. But just like you said, you get closer. And what is the one thing that every commentator remarks on anytime there's like a counter? Defenders hate 
when people run straight at him. So yeah. if you close down, then you, He's like you said, you run getting beat, yeah. or you just go right by him, or you have to pick up the red, and then we're even more fucked too. Right. But the, so the first goal, I mean, uh, unbelievable strike. You know, you tip your hat to it. Right. And even the second goal too. Now Sako's completely at fault. You know, as a defender. And he's done it so much. He's just yeah. letting the ball bounce in front of it, and he's not going into tackles or into 50-50 balls like he normally would. Right. But even after that, it's a deflected ball that just Vardy picks up and puts in the back of the net. Yeah. That- so I think the, the Leicester loss was just a combination of, you know, those two goals, you know, it, it's not necessarily a reflection on maybe how poor we've been defensively or how poor we maybe think we are defensively. It's just a culmination of everything else that's going wrong. Right. Highlighted by the fact that we can't score goals. Yes. And, you know, it's what like uh, Ali or whatever is, is scoring. And meanwhile, everybody's like, Oh, you know, we should have signed him. And then we, we let in a worldly strike at the same time too. So it's like, what is it? Is it Murphy's law that everything that could go wrong, <laughs> go wrong yeah. that that's basically liverpool right, right now from <laughs> from every position on the pitch to the fans and the ownership as well yeah i well i think looking at looking at this lester game specifically it wasn't even a case of you know in the past some of liverpool's away performances have been dreadful like yeah very terrible newcastle uh, West Ham away, like the list goes on. There have been some just awful away performances, and this was not one of them. Like this, this was not a performance where Liverpool just phoned it in or didn't show up or anything like that. They they did okay, they just weren't very good. And and Leicester wasn't very good either. They were just better. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's a good point. I think like we're very quick to to say like oh we lost two 0 to Leicester away we're shit, um, everybody's shit you know Moreno is shit like everybody just jumps on every player's back, and and like looking at that performance I mean there's a couple mistakes but I mean all things considered that's one of our better away performances yeah. of the season. That's a problem too because it's. You know, basically, if you look at that match, you have no clue about the Premier League, about either club. You would think that those are two evenly matched teams. Absolutely. And one side just got the edge. And that's pretty bad because if you look on paper, this I, I, I even still think this Leicester team is is overperforming. Like they're like what they're doing with that squad is pretty incredible. Yeah. And that goes back to us like how much we're underperforming too. Now, whether you say they're bad transfers or whatever, we're still, we still have like a talented core group of players. They're just not necessarily playing as it right now. But the fact that a Leicester squad and a Liverpool squad can perform at equal levels of kind of shit. And we look like two very similar clubs is is pretty damning on what the club has done in terms of transfers and oh absolutely I mean, even now how they're performing how they're performing under Klopp that was another thing that things that I didn't want to admit right. is that you know it it's not just a matter of a new manager coming in but the players have now 
you can't necessarily argue. Maybe you can say it's injuries or it's the schedule or whatever, but our performances are getting worse and worse. Leicester wasn't the worst performance by far, no. but just look at the run, the run of games, like no goals against United and struggling to score against Stoke. And meanwhile, man United just absolutely carves Stoke to pieces in their past game too. So it's, I mean, nobody, nobody's except even people are now starting to call out Klopp a little bit too. And I, I think, you know, maybe not necessarily rightfully slow. So because got your man, you have the manager there and they've got to get the most out of the the players regardless. But Klopp is just kind of, you know, you know, dusted his hands off. And, and I think he's just said, you know, fuck it. Yeah. You know, at the start of the, when he comes in, it's hugs. Everything's great. Players are pressing. They're performing. We're getting some results. And now it's just like angry Klopp right. or Klopp saying, you know, you know, the players perform well, almost just like hyperbole or just random kind of quotes that he's putting out right. there too. So it's, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to be happy about. No. And I, I think as far as Klopp, phoning it in i think i think he's he's turned his focus to where he knows he can win competitions so he he's focused on the cups somewhat and and by focused i i don't necessarily mean that he's putting because obviously he's played the kids in the cups um as a necessity um yeah and maybe that's maybe that's something we can talk about too um and something that's getting brought up now is with this West Ham draw in the FA Cup, we basically got the same performance out of a squad made up largely of our U21s yeah. that we would have gotten out of our first teamers. Mm-hmm. So the question, I guess, is then, you know, what are, what you know, like if we're playing our best team in the Premier League, is are our first teamers even our best players because our reservists can do the same job like yep. and i guess that that maybe is is even more damning to the club as far as transfer business goes because we spent all this money but the kids that we have in our academy can do exactly the same get the same results and and it doesn't the team looks almost identical walking out there there's no like if you didn't know who the players were you would say yeah. like oh it's liverpool like they're playing how they always do like they actually look a little sharper this time <laughs> you know like they, like i think there's a spark there's a spark to them and yeah. i think what what klopp initially brought in and you get that a lot with managers once they come in and then it begins to fade a little bit after you get a few games under your belt but the the young kids always have something to prove. And that I think maybe that's a reflection of, you know, transfers coming in as like a 25 million pound player like Lulana or, you know, 32 or 34, whatever Benteke cost. I don't know. Maybe it gives them like this air superiority or something where they think like, oh, you know, I'm this big money transfer. I've got my place in the squad set. And you just don't – you just – you're not getting the same – results that you should out of our first 11 and the fact that our our reserve squad basically like i said can come in and perform good i mean because it is i mean they put up you can put up a ton in one match or put up none and that's the same for our for our main starting 11 and there's really it's really hard to tell the difference between any of that and actually brannigan's taking better 
better free kicks than anybody yes. in our first eleven. Brannigan is Brannigan is a better player on on the balance. Like from what we've seen this season, Brannigan is better. Brannigan and Tashera, I would wager, are better than Lolana. Yeah, I mean, th- it, there's no point. Like what? I mean, maybe maybe pressing is a different thing too. But at this point, like. Pressing, yeah, you can win the ball back, but if you can't do anything with it on the counter, then there's there's no purpose of it because our midfield can't pass, they can't create, they can't score, and we don't have any attackers to kind of take the load off of them, and they certainly can't disrupt play because we're you know we're getting killed on the counter attack, or our defense just looks like it's in shambles too. So yeah. a lot of people are calling for the youngsters to start playing in the league, and I think that's a different you know. They they kind of expect expect to play in certainly the the league cup maybe not as much the FA Cup uh, especially at this point that we're in to get into the round of sixteen but I mean put them out there in the league and see if they can handle like you know you got thirty eight games and each one of them counts so you know see what they can do yeah I just I I really don't think you can find a less creative player than Lalana so I mean the if you throw Teixeira on there in in Lalana's place like. What is there to lose? It's not like Lalana's he's not producing. So if he produces Teixeira, zero goals, then he's yeah, done the same. Some, <laughs> some of the youngsters, they, they're actually showing like what was it? Odo's like left footed finish the other day that looked just un, un not the other day, but against Exeter or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, at least they're showing glimpses of hey, we can actually put the ball in the back of the net. Right. Like our players now, like that. This is one of the worst things I've seen about Chan, is that he thinks he can just tee off from 20, 20 yards out consistently. He's not. He's not even close. Like it's not even yeah. for a second. Like once it leaves his boot, you know it's flying twenty yards over the goal yep. rather than towards it. So that's why I posted on Twitter that it was like new rule for for Liverpool players. If you can put it on target or you can score a goal. It's almost just like shoot, shoot until you miss. Right. But the second that you blast it high, do, into like the... what they've been doing, like stop. Right. Stop. Because you look at good teams and creative teams, they're not lobbing in crosses. They're not shooting from 20, 25 yards out no. the moment they get a space. And that's why our, our conversion or our goal scoring rate is so low, is because we're just like, oh, we've got a foot of space. Let me take a shot. Yeah. And we don't have players, we don't have players that are capable of that. No. You know, they've got to just be a little bit more patient. And that's a problem. Whenever you're struggling, you try to create something out of nothing. And, and so, you know, we don't necessarily have the players in place to do that. And then it's just making matters worse because they're just trying for the extraordinary rather than just trying to build up play, which, which I think we have some players that can actually do that. Like I think Lalana, Chan, Henderson, Firmino, whoever else we have in there, could actually work well together, but there doesn't seem to be this cohesiveness in the in the final third where they're like, okay, we're going to link up. Like against Leicester, some of the most creative attacks that we had came from like simple like headed balls across across the goal. Like Chan had a chance; he was off sides, but it was like Moreno or somebody else crosses it in. It's a simple header across goal by like Milner, and then there's another instance where I think Henderson did it too. Right and. Like those were our best chances. Like we're getting our best chances from, you know, from headed passes too, and that 
that kind of shows us how much we're fucked right now by getting yeah <laughs> by yeah. saying that we're dependent on that so um, so um let's see let's see in our whole in, in our, our whole, whole list of list of grievances here grievances here <laughs> um we've got a lot of them let's talk so I think I think it's tough to to move away from the the goal scoring aspect because now it's been five hours since Liverpool last scored a goal. It's you know three three games straight. Um, so with uh, with a thirty two and a half million pound striker often being left on the bench um, in Christian Benteke, why? Has he been just a complete? And I would say this is this is going out on a limb, but I I stand by this. I think even right compared to Andy Carroll, he struggles to exert himself on on matches. And which wasn't true at the start of the year. No, like it was like even if he wasn't scoring, you look at him and he's like, "Holy shit, Benteke can't lose an aerial challenge." Uh, yeah, and now he can't and, win one. <laughs> like what? What happened? What is it? Just is football really that much down to form and <laughs> good form? You're you're on top of the world, and when you're in shit form, you're terrible. It, it, like it can't. It can't be that simple. Like in every other sport, even if you're having a bad run out, if you're a world class player, you still look a level. You still look a level ahead. Like you know, LeBron James, Kobe, even Kobe Bryant at fucking what thirty eight years old yeah. or however old he is, he'll still look uh, like at a different level. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like we're spending thirty some odd million on Benteke, twenty some odd million on Lalana and these players. And they just look like you said. If it if you go up against Leicester or Stoke or West Ham or anybody else, they just fit. They just fit right in. Like you wouldn't ever, you would never say like the way Benteke's played. Like you know, holy shit, he might not have scored, but at least we can see why they forked out the money. Right. And I don't think he ever showed that at Aston Villa either. And so that's the goal scoring thing. Is it all kind of boils down to Benteke because we we're pinning all of our hopes on how much do we buy search for? Uh, 12. 12. How much do we buy Balotelli for? 14, 15, 16, I think. But 32 for Ben between 14. So yeah, basically the combined fee of Balotelli and Sturridge mm-hmm. is what we paid for Benteke. And from very like Benteke was like, no, he doesn't have the the stigma that comes with Balotelli, but you could put Balotelli out there and it's the exact same thing. So why why bring in Benteke? And the fact that we're so dependent on what was a surprise kind of Sturridge signing is is pretty alarming about our whether it's scouting, whether it's our transfer policy or our transfer system. Is that you know that that kind of Diamond in the rough that Sturridge, who was you know never produced for City, never produced for Chelsea, right. now all of a sudden our entire we're you know got to bring up the Cubs again, like the Cubs with Pryor and Woods, like we're we're just 
putting all of our hopes behind this player. Yeah. And the fact that it comes from a surprise transfer is, and we spent hundreds of millions of pounds is, I mean, it's unforgivable really for, for whether it's the ownership or whatever, whoever it's the director of football or whoever we have in place. Right. It, yeah. It, I, so I think, I think you've, you've hit on a good point there. So our t- the two best players at the club, are Surridge and Coutinho, um, yeah. both who happen to be injured right now. Coutinho's back in training, and ball, or and and Sturridge apparently don't say it, don't say it, don't say Sturridge it. is alive. So he's alive, um, like in Gladiator, he's like more than a whisper, and it'll vanish. It is it. <laughs> that's that's Sturridge's frailty, yeah, right exactly. there. Um, of an aging Marcus Aurelius. Exactly. I think so. Our, I, it, it's tough because with all the money that's been spent, we had, we still, like you said, are, are reliant on, on Sturridge and Coutinho who Coutinho, we paid 8 million pounds for. <laughs> um, so it is a damnation of the transfer policy because we, we allowed, I think the club allowed itself. Um, we we kind of take this this high ground on transfers of we won't be, we won't be overcharged. We won't be, we won't be held hostage by a club. But Southampton took us to the cleaners, for <laughs> for Lalana, and for everybody and uh, except Klein. Klein, yeah, Klein was. So Klein was a good piece of business, obviously. Klein has looked, I, I will say, to to lighten the mood slightly, like Klein has been brilliant, and I hope he stays with us forever because he's a fantastic right back. I think we're lucky That's to have right him. That's a right back And fuck everybody that says he doesn't create or whatever else no. because Moreno creates and he gets shit for defending. That's a problem right. with with. You know, wing backs or fullbacks. You know, you, have to you do can't everything have it both. perfectly. Can't have it both ways. How many fullbacks can you name that get credit for defending well and and attacking well? I would say zero. Maybe I would say close to zero because like who? Because like Lom, every, everyone maybe? you think of, every fullback you can think of gets credit more so for one than the other. So like, Lom. Lom was never now. I mean, except for a few glimpses for Germany, like never an attacking fullback. Yeah, he's not that fast. He's not. He's not tall. The, he doesn't really and provide that much. What defensive mid too? Right. Like you, that. I, there's this myth about fullbacks that they have to be exceptional at both. No. And even like one thing, one that always stands out for me is Danny Elvis for Barcelona. Right. Because he's always viewed a, as one of the best fullbacks in the world, world class, is just dog shit defensively. Yes, and that, and that's okay. And we've talked about. I think at the start of the year we talked about the balance. It's okay to have a, a fullback that's shit offensively, right. and then one that's kind of shit defensively. Yes, because take for Marino for example. He's been creating. He's still got a long way to go. Yes, but he's been. Cre- He's been creating well this season. His crossings improved. I was just looking at tweets where I was kind of, you know, kind of going off on Moreno earlier in the season yeah. and said he had to improve. But he's creating chances and his crossings getting better. But you know, he's if that's the case, then you can't you can't be good at both. Right. Like there's a reason you have 
defenders, midfielders, and attackers. There's too much space on the pitch yes. to ever be good at both. So that's you only need like maybe one wing back to push up at a time. You don't need both. Yeah. Or, you know, if you have actual wingers, then that, then that would help. <laughs> but, but we don't. We've got Milner and Lalana. Yeah. Or in the or in this game's case, we went like straight up 2010 on it and went Henderson wide right and uh, and Milner oh wide left. You do you love a good you love a good Hendo cross. I love though. a good Hendo cross. The problem <laughs> is that he he can be devastating in central midfield, but hmm? and he can put in a good cross if he if he goes wide from central midfield. But when he goes on the right, and we have seen this since <laughs> then, it's like since we signed this dude, if he plays right midfielder, he is marginalized. Like Straight like, up. He does not exert any influence on the game from the right wing. It's not, he's not fast enough. He's not like, he's not a winger. He, and playing yeah. him as a right midfielder is, is absurd. I, like, I'm not going to, again, like Klopp is, like we talked about, he's, He's doing what he can this season, but I think, I think this, I think this particular team was was rough because it was, it was Firmino as a striker, but you then had Milner and Henderson on the wings, which the reason you <laughs> would play them on the wings is because you have Benteke in the middle. That would be the only yeah. reason to play them. Um, and Benteke, Benteke can't even do what he did for Aston Villa. Like he's not even scoring those goals. No. There's no point. There's absolutely no point to Benteke right now. And Klopp's right. Like, I don't give a shit if you cost $10 million, $30 million, or $50 million. The way he's been playing, like, he's got no, he's got no right to be on the pitch. No. Even, I mean, unless you come in as, like, an 85th-minute sub and we're just, you know, lobbing crosses in to try to get an equalizer just, or a winner, you've got no right to be on the pitch. Putting him on instead of Kalker, like, as a striker. That is the only like it's a that's choice the only between thing I can say about Benteke is that he's slightly better. We'll see. I don't even know because Cocker almost created that chance that led to the Lalana goal the other Cocker, day. I don't. I don't know if Benteke. Cocker nearly got on the end of a cross against Arsenal <laughs> before Joe Allen's equalizer, and he yeah. had two shots deflected in front of goal before Lalana's winner at Norwich. So. Calker on like statistically maybe better <laughs> as a striker than Christian Benteke. Striker <laughs> than Benteke. All right, we're gonna have to pull. We're gonna have to talk to our stats guy about that. Yeah. But now, now that we mentioned that, it also brought up how bad Sako has been in the air lately. Yes. Like for it wasn't. It, it was the one. There was the the headed ball that kind of Mignolet tipped right over the goal. Like if you're looking, like watch those. Re- like how does Sako not win that aerial challenge with Okazaki? Yeah, which, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, that that's a dangerous path we're going down no, against any like of, Sako. Any, versus, of the, any of those front, any of those front players for Leicester should not be winning a header. Vardy, no, Okazaki, Mares, all short. Any of them could win a header against any of our players yeah. on the field, right? Now. And that that was the thing. Like Sako before his injury, look he looked good in the air, he looked good in tackle, he looked good in passing. He's not showing any of that right now, too. And it's not just Sako, but Henderson and I mean maybe 
like you say, you don't want to make excuses, but maybe it just comes into the amount of minutes, the amount of games that everybody's playing and that everybody looks shit, especially coming back from injury. Yes. But, I mean, even players that have been healthy all season aren't. I mean, Lalana's been healthy, right? Yeah. He hasn't done a thing. That's So that's where I start to worry. So about some of the players who have been healthy all season, I start to worry a little bit because, like Emre Chan, for example. What happens if, I mean, I'm knocking on all of the, the wood around me, <laughs> but if Emre Chan, who has played more minutes up to this point in the season than he's ever played in a season, <laughs> he's already surpassed it. If Emery Chan gets hurt, step one, who comes in for him? I guess Allen. And then two. Brannigan? Oh, yeah, Joe Allen. Yeah, the man in form. Like, we can't even we, get into it. it. It just becomes the, I mean, we have such a long injury list. And, and so many <laughs> players that are either just back from injury or have somehow stayed healthy up to this point and are certainly going to get injured in the next oh, yeah. next they couple months. Many. That's what we're getting to. It's just going to switch. Yeah. Where all these players that have been healthy are now going to get injured because they've hit kind of like that that minute ceiling. Yeah. Where they where they just, you know, you can only do so much. Right. And that's what I mean, it I guess and it all eventually comes back to it all eventually comes back to the transfer policy because when when Liverpool challenged for the title in 13-14, a big thing coming out of that um, out of that season after Suarez left um, was Rodgers talked about how deep the squad was and how much of a squad they had built for the Champions League. We thought we were getting and, that. Yeah, we thought we were getting And that. we really thought we, were, we had depth. And, I mean, it turns out that we don't have shit for depth. Like, we can't. <laughs> We can't replace a player to the point where, like, Emery Chan mm-hmm. is playing every single game as a twenty, you know, as a twenty-year-old. We have, yeah. we have um, so many strikers injured that Firmino's our only option, you know, aside from Benteke, who's not really an option. You know, our Arig- our best player. Yeah, we've got. What is it? Origi, Sturridge, and Ings all injured for for strikers, <laughs> which is a a solid you know just between Origi and Ings transfer wise. That's a well, depending on who you ask about Ings, the whole arbitration court. You know, he does he cost does he cost three million? Does he cost twelve million? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
But yeah, I mean, with the with the injury list, it's I mean, it's hard to it's hard to believe that we've even kept a, a large enough squad to finish the season and haven't had to just forfeit all the competitions that we're involved in. Well, when you think what I think somebody said, this is the most games that Liverpool have ever played. I mean, not consecutively within one period or one window of time, like in it was either the history or just Premier League history. Right. Like the fact that we're playing a game every what three on average every three games. Like it, it, it would be really cool if we were doing well, right? And we could watch all these games, and you know, <laughs> instead of once a week at five a.m. We've got all these midweek games that we can watch. Right. But take into effect the amount of games that we're playing and the injury list. I don't. I don't want to be like. I don't want to say like that's the reason because I want to be bitter and I want to be angry about how shit everything is. Right. And I don't want, I don't want an excuse for it right now So because there should never, be, there should never be an excuse when you have an X amount of money on players that it, I, I don't care if you've got two games a week, one game a week, three games a week, you've got to be able to produce at, at some point and at yes. no point are we doing that. So let's, let's talk about something that will keep you nice and bitter. Then let's talk about, let's <laughs> talk about ownership and and let's talk about the ticket plan because this was this was contentious coming out in the middle of the week um i i'm prepared for whatever you're about to say you summed it up best you summed it up best like they don't even have the decency to try to kind of sweep it under the urge like try to hide it from us right at like the lowest point and probably what's been like we've had some low points this season and last season. This is the lowest since since Hodgson, I'd say, since Roy. I I think that we've reached that point where we're so shit, and there's so many other things going on that it it hasn't been this bad in the entire time that I've followed Liverpool. And I came in in the dark ages, right? right? Like in in the Hodgson years. You know, you get rid of Torres and you bring in Andy Carroll like that. I, w- I would say, <laughs> that I would say though that it's. An, I think it's an important distinction too that I feel bad about Liverpool for very different reasons than I did in 2010. Because I feel bad about Liverpool right now because of performances on the field, and the only similarity to 2010 is the owners. That's where I'm starting to to get some more animosity. It's not it's not the worst. Like people are saying, this is the worst squad that Liverpool have rolled out. No, in the Premier League era. Sure. Like when we're rolling out John Joe Shelby and and fucking Jay Spearing, Christian Poulsen. Oh God, Andre like it's, it's not even close. Not like we weren't spending. We weren't doing anything. Right. But what what's Paul really Kancheski. Wore a Liverpool shirt. Oh, you know, a lot of I mean, the way they've been playing lately, a lot of our players don't deserve to be out there in the first place. Yeah, but, but I will say Moreno but, is a much better left back than Paul Kinchesky. That's not <laughs> earlier. What when people were complaining about Moreno, I said there's only a handful of left backs in the world that I would take over Moreno, yes. given his current level of talent. And the possibility that he holds. And I stand by that too. But the fact that you just compared him to Kinchetsky is just kind of 
threw everything under the no, bus. No, but I, so I agree with you because I think what did someone someone was tweeting at the El Paso Reds count, account and said it would be easy to replace someone to replace Moreno for for ten million. Yeah, like who who who, <laughs> who the fuck the is coming possible, in for ten million? Who's better? Who than Moreno. Who are we going to fight for Chelsea that we complained about that Rodgers wanted and Southampton actually got, ended up getting? Hmm? The left Who's back? The, the Southampton left back. Oh, fucking. Um, we we're going to get talking him. about goddamn. Uh, yeah, what the shit's his name? The Ch- yeah, God, he was God, a Chelsea. Goddamn is right. Like, that's, that's what we thought Chelsea whenever we were getting He's done all right. What the hell's his name? Bertrand. If, Ryan Bertrand. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Bertrand. Yeah, so fucking shit, Ryan it, Bertrand. It's either Moreno or it's Ryan Bertrand, right? right? Ryan Bertrand is the alternative at 10 million pounds to Moreno. Yes. Whenever we were going to bring in Ryan Bertrand instead of Moreno, everybody was going ape shit right. at Rodgers. Right. He's done okay. He's done okay for Southampton this year. But who, like, there, there are so few left backs that I would take over Moreno just because he is that goes back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago about the the balance between a left you know a, a wing back that provides maybe some more offensive prowess or one that's more defensive minded as well but no we got to focus on the ownership back to the owners yeah it was such an appalling time to roll out the ticket price plan and the structure to increase t- ticket prices one because they've already held talks with fans and supporters group about the possibility of lowering ticket prices yeah. <laughs> that's the direction the premier league has to go into yes. with the amount of money that you make from these you know television rights billions like literally billions for a select group of clubs i don't care if you're expanding the stadium, anything that that's getting into a problem that we face here in the U.S. is with right. you've got these billionaire owners that are saying taxpayers need to fork over money for their stadium right. so they can have a better product to sell. Like it, it's bullshit. And it so for FSG to raise prices at the moment where the window closes, all that we sign is Stephen Cocker and a player that we then send back out on loan. Right. We don't spend money on a player that now apparently might be leaving for thirty-four million pounds, and that's a realistic fee. Right. Or we were ready to pay gym. thirty-two yeah. and a half. Like if we, so, I mean, yeah, if that's if the ready case, to pay thirty-two. Then you know, pull out the billfold again and, and pull a couple more bills right. out because that's that's just modern football, yeah. right? What Newcastle or Sto- whoever else signed somebody for like. 20 some odd million like that's the world that you live in because you have you don't have to make champions league every year because you've got a hundred and fucking 50 million pounds to spend because that's just what you're getting for tv rights on top of that you're getting concessions you're getting the 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 ticket sales and all that or you know but if you make the the league cup final like we did you're getting that as well right so for the ownership to just and it, it kind of confirmed that that tweet that we talked about where it said FSG's buy and it sounds like FSG like we like FSG because a we're going to turn around 
you know, we're going to buy not the money ball approach because that's ridiculous, right. but you know, you're going to have a, a, you know, statistic, statistical analysis on players make smart buys, right. turn them into a world-class club. And instead what it seems like they did is they took the, that approach to buying the club, turning it into something profitable and then selling it right. at some point too. Right. And that's, that's what makes it feel like the Hicks and Gillette era yeah. is yeah. because you feel like you have ownership that isn't in it or for the supporters or for the club to actually um, it, it's not about a winning product. It's about just a, a product that you can make money off of. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so just, you know, like I said, they stuck the knife in it and then they turned it is, is the fact that they're, they're now, completely gouging the supporters and support and this is what has come up and we i I, we kind of got into it with some people is that it also it it almost turns on us now and that whenever ticket prices get raised to 77 pounds or whatever like if you or i fly to liverpool of course we're going to pay 77 pounds or however much it costs but we're we're not the problem like you and i like all these people that and like i said on twitter you go into a bar thousands of miles away from Liverpool and you've got these supporter groups that are, you know, singing and chanting and, and just screaming, screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Like we're going to go to Anfield and we're going to take that same atmosphere to right. it. So we're not the problem. Whenever you raise ticket prices to that amount of money, it becomes more like a Broadway show or, or a spectacle. Like when we're in El Paso, what do we do? You know, we fork over some money to get some good seats at the El Paso Chihuahua. Like it's <laughs> almost like a triple A team now, right? But it's a triple A team for people that just want to show up and experience a sporting event. It would be like if we're, you know, if I lived in, I don't know, Kansas city, if I live in Kansas city, of course I'm going to go to a chiefs game, right? You sure. know, you, you've got it right there. It's something to do, but I'm not going to be sitting there like chanting and rooting for, for the chiefs to, to, you know, pull out a win or whatever. Right. And so that's, that's who the, the ticket prices are really targeting or those, I mean, you're going to have plenty of people that'll fork over that money just to go to a game. Yeah. And that's the problem with it too, is that the demand is always going to be there for, for limited sporting events. Like if it was hockey, if it was basketball, maybe it's a different story yeah. where there are so many different events to play. But if you're, I mean, what do they have? 19, 19 home games. Right. The season. Yeah. 19. Then you're always going to get people that'll pay seventy five pounds, hundred pounds to go to a game, and the problem is that now you get these traveling supporters, or the you know people just wanting a day out, and it's not, it's certainly not the the fans that are coming from all over the world to see Liverpool play, and it's you know it's offensive to us because right. we get the shit for. You know, you guys are showing up. You're not singing. You're not chanting. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of people are, but it's not those traveling supporters yeah. that are shelling out thousands of dollars for an airplane ticket so they can go watch Liverpool play. Yeah, and so looking at the numbers of what commercial revenue or the match day revenue you know brings in for for Liverpool, we're right around forty five million pounds, which per year. Uh, from match day revenue. So in January, in this transfer window, FSG stated 
publicly that they were willing to pay 38 million pounds for one player, Alex Teixeira, they decided against it in the end. If that's the case, that 38 million pounds, like, we're willing to fork over that money, that is almost all of the season's match day revenue for one player. Yeah. That, you're barely, offset, you're <laughs> barely offsetting the cost of one player. So increasing that by f- even 5 million, which really they'd only be, with the ticket increase, they're increasing match day revenue by like 2 million um, yeah. per year. So it's not even, like, it doesn't make a difference. You're offsetting the cost of maybe two players like over the course of a transfer window. So by the time that you've hit the end of, of next summer, we'll have easily spent probably two seasons worth of match day revenue. If the amount of, of movement that we're expecting actually happens um, next summer. So I, th- I think it's just crazy that any management or ownership is going to look at the situation and say, you know what? We really need that extra that extra two million, you know, like it's just really especially not worth when it. you don't sign anybody, right? Right, right at the tail end of the transfer window, and you don't spend any money, right? And now you say we're going to need you guys to fork over a little <laughs> bit more next season. Why? Like fucking what? Like what? For what reason? Yeah. And I didn't even see. I I, I put a tweet out there this morning that got no responses because maybe everybody was as horrified as I was, <laughs> but I didn't even look to see the justification. Like they were talking about it and yeah. I say so he's like, you're not going to please everybody, you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like who, like you're, you're not uh, appeasing anybody. You're upsetting right. 99%, fuck 100% of your fan base. Right. Nobody came out and said, Oh yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's their club. They should charge whatever. Right. Not a single person, and- you know? And so uh, what's really what's really troubling and and it's something that and this is this is maybe a different uh, maybe a separate issue. But the introduction of American owners to European sports has been a huge detriment um, because the the local owners like as it had been, you know, and this is going to be like way back yeah. in the day, you know, before like real foreign ownership really started to, to kind of take over. Um, you know, a local owner who was investing in his club that represented not only him as the owner, but also his, his town or his neighborhood. Um, that guy is going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And, and sometimes at great personal cost to to make that team a winning product. Um you know, the Liverpool is a great example. Like if you look at the history of Liverpool, it it was literally a guy with a with a vendetta against Everton. <laughs> he got kicked off the board. He goes across, he's like I'm going to start my own team. Fuck you guys. So he did and he made that team better than Everton. You know, that was like and it was driven by revenge. Like it was it was purely a personal thing like from that owner and he just he was driven to make that team great and and he's you know a like, club a club with arguably some of the greatest history in sports especially football 
maybe that's why we we gravitate towards Liverpool that it's all out of spite. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was. It's crazy. towards another club. Yeah, but you know what it sounds like? It honestly sounds like we've we've always said like we would hate for like a Middle Eastern guy, like a Chelsea or a City person, to come in. But you know what they're doing is they're actually coming in and they're doing whatever it takes to win right away. Right. And it honestly, you have to think about it now. And this is how low we've gotten where we're seeing, you know, maybe PSG, maybe Chelsea, maybe City have it right is because they actually have the money. Like those local, those local owners yeah. that would, you know, just pour everything they have into it. I, I I think Newcastle's a more recent example of it where the local one just can't continue to own that club and compete. So they have to sell. So would you rather be owned by, you know, a chic or whatever that's willing to put in, we also put in hundreds of millions, but (laughs) I mean, literally just go into their, their own pocket and spend, you know, half a billion dollars to win because that. That, to me now, that seems more like local ownership than it does for – and maybe it's just the timing of everything and maybe it's not really FSG's intention. But it's starting to really feel like it's more like a, uh, like you said, you know, coming up with not supporters but customers or turning fans into buyers. Like that's not – that that's the least of what anybody would want, right. you know, and, because – PSG, all those other like big money spending clubs, like those people are coming in, they want to win, right. you know? They, yeah, they want to make money. They want to turn it into a, a world-renowned club, but they want to win trophies. Yeah, and it it really, I think you, you hit on something really, really important there is FSG has spent money too, um, and loads of it. <laughs> and so I'd, at, at this point, I'd much rather have a club that doesn't pretend to be this money ball and, Oh, we're going to like, you know, try to beat the system and not, you know, not play by the the rules of, of modern football or whatever you want to call it. And just embraces the fact that, Hey, we're going to make a winner like at all costs um, because treating it like a, like a normal investment is, is really an affront to, the nature of the, of the sport and the nature of, of supporters too, because ultimately, and this is what is so offensive about, about the, the raise in ticket prices is ultimately at the end of the day, if no one came to a soccer match, it wouldn't matter. Like it, it doesn't. So then make more. (laughs) Yes. Now. But, but what I mean is that if, if no one, if everyone stopped caring about the game, then really it's ridiculous if you think about it. Like if no one was there watching it and no one was watching on TV, then it wouldn't even, it just wouldn't make sense for these, for 11 dudes to be chasing the ball, like, and being paid all this money, you know? Even like what Europa Champions League, where they have no crowd there. Right. Like what? (laughs) I mean, that's the soul. That's the soul of any sporting event is the crowd that's actually there. Right. Maybe it's taken a hit with, you know, high def TVs or Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever. Now I sound like a grumpy old man, but like that, we we've complained so much about the 
the the crowd at home games right. and how how much a part of Anfield that is. And so, I mean, the away supporters have been phenomenal this year. Yeah. But oh, absolutely. You know, to it, it's such a like home field advantage in whatever sport that you play is there because you've got the crowd and the crowd, I mean, literally influences officiating It influences player performance. And I mean, that's just, you know, every, every single study, every single thing that they've come out on says that crowds can influence that. Yeah. And that, that's a whole purpose of it too. And if you're not, if you're not performing, that's going to take a hit on it. But if there's kind of, if fans feel disenfranchised from like having a say or, even kind of feeling left out from it, then you're, you're going to feel that at the matches. Absolutely. And I think it's all, kind of, we're, we're touching just about on everything, you know, but you know, fans are, are certainly not, you know, not void of fault here too. With, I don't, I don't even want to bring up the betting, the betting sites, <laughs> because as soon, as soon as we get, as soon as we get to whatever the appropriate number of followers is, we go to bet 180 or whatever those, <laughs> But the one that just irks me is that that stock market yeah. one. I've, I've said it like multiple times today, but now I, I unfollowed Joe Musker today because of that. I'm waiting. I'm wait, I anymore. said that that's that's our gringo rule now yeah. is to it, once it pops up, unfollow. Hey, if you're if you're with us, I, I say we just start a movement right now. So if anyone listening to this is with us, if you see a betting advertisement from a normal kind of Liverpool related or even football related account, just hit unfollow. Even if it's a retweet. Go on. Go just on. Go on. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Or those fake kind of oh, this is so like those bullshit such a great who always does it. They're giving like a great Gillette. deal eight one eight to one Messi to score at any time. <laughs> How could you say no? Right. Go fuck yourself. Fire emoji. What the fuck? Like yeah. what kind of what kind of advertising scheme is this? I've got an Android. I don't even see all the emojis that you guys are fucking putting on there. <laughs> so fuck your betting sites and your iPhone. Yeah. So fuck the betting sites. Unfollow that shit the second that you see it, because the only way that people are going to stop doing it is if no one pays attention. If they've got no follow, the only reason they're getting those betting sites is because they have you know ten thousand followers yep. or whatever. God bless Manhattan Doc, even though we're still blocked. <laughs> I am I'm free to free to peruse his timeline still. <laughs> I can only see it whenever somebody retweets. Uh, but thank you God know, it came you, off you private. That, you don't get that from from like, and that's what it feels like. Just the timing of everything. Right. Like, I mean, I I can't say like five. I can't even dream of a world where ten thousand people want to see my bullshit. But. <laughs> If a betting site offered me like, hey, you know, we'll give you a thousand dollars. I don't even know what the going rate is for a tweet. Who knows? But you know, I can't, I can't say, oh no, you know, I, I never do that. I probably cave. I probably cave in a second. Fuck a thousand dollars. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> but for us, like that is, like we've talked about it a lot before. Like social media has enhanced our ability to follow, not just the Premier League, but you know, football across the world. Of course. And the fact, and given the timing of, of everything, our performances, transfers, management, ownership, the fact that we now have some of our biggest fan accounts for Liverpool now 
being used as what's kind of like a social media billboard. Yeah. It just it oh it, it feels so wrong about all of it because this is what we've used. Like we followed you guys because we don't have access to to Sky Sport to all those things that you guys have access to. Right. We count on you guys to give us information, and now you're shoveling just. I hate using the word literally, not as it should be, but you're literally shoveling shit right. into our mouth because that's what it feels like. Oh, absolutely. Whenever I go on my timeline and see these people that at once I'd be like, oh yeah, I want transfer rumors from you, or right. I just want, I can't watch because a lot of times like we're, we're working during the day. Right. Yeah. So we have to, we use Twitter as the best means to kind of see and get a feel for the game. Right. Lately it's been fucking depressing, but it's even more depressing whenever you see like, you know, Liverpool four to one odds to beat Leicester or whatever, <laughs> even though I would never get those odds. No. But <laughs> no. it's just like, it's such a sacred kind of realm. Maybe it's just for American fans, but I, I'm sure the, you know, worldwide or, or British fans feel the same way that it feels like we've been betrayed by almost everybody. Like <laughs> the players aren't performing, right. you know, they're not, you're not even performing not not even your price tag you're not even performing well enough to play for any any team that's out there let alone liverpool the management aren't spending any money to bring in transfers when we're desperately in need of it and ownership is now kind of bending us over and saying give us some more money right. for watching this shit and so for these fan accounts now to kind of pile on and say you know shovel out some more money to to do some bullshit betting site mm-hmm. it's you know, it's like the perfect storm yeah. of of shit for Liverpool fans right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it is like like you said, it, this is a low point for for Liverpool fans, and it it is a it's a convergence of tons of different factors, all all conspiring to make us feel like garbage. Um, I think. Uh, I think like obviously it all starts with the with the product that we're viewing um but it gets to the point where I think I think the worst the worst part of 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 this whole stretch has been the fact that when I sit down to watch Liverpool I don't think they're going to win ever like it's reached that that point, that kind of rock bottom of I I just don't have any faith in the players to get it done. Um, I like some of the players that we have. I don't <laughs> like a lot of the players that we have. Um, and and like it's gonna take every ounce of of my patience to make it through this season without just like completely you know switching mm-hmm. off um which I, I don't think i could ever do but it will it will be painful no, to sit through to sit through like game after game in the league that ultimately doesn't matter <laughs> that's that's a problem like that kind of upsets me about klopp right now like i think we've got i mean we're the fact that klopp is our manager in spite of all of this right. is is unbelievable yeah. right like a top manager in the club and somebody that suited perfectly for Liverpool to put up with the same shit that we're dealing with. But what's, what's brutal is that there's still the level of the performances. Like we can't, like, like you said, we can't switch off. 
Like we live and die by every single match yeah. that we watch. And so you, you can tell like Klopp and, and we really should write off the season. Right. But, but you can't because all you do, you want to watch, you want to support yep. and you want to get behind it. So the fact that we're still putting out theoretically our best 11 and not getting results, maybe if, 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 the under 21 or some, some of the younger kids are out there playing, then it's a different type of, you know, Oh, we'll, we'll just, we'll take what we can get. Right. But still it's, there's no faith behind the squad that's getting rolled out there for premier league games. Right. So in top four is, <laughs> I, this is a premier league that we win two, three games in a row. And then all of a sudden we're like, are we going to make top four? Are we going to make top <laughs> are we gonna four? Are going to win the title? No, we're not going to make fucking top four, you know? You yeah. Won, like, and it all happened. Like two games in a row under Klopp and everyone was like, we can win the title. <laughs> I'm even going to fucking blame Gerard for this too. So nobody, like, fuck Klopp, fuck the ownership, fuck fans, fuck the players, and fuck Gerard. Because Gerard showed up right as we're on this roll. And all of a sudden he shows up from bringing his fucking MLS – Swagger is LA, whatever he brought with them, that, that MLS poison. Everything went downhill after Gerard showed yep. up. So no, I don't want I don't want Gerard anywhere near the club. I don't want him managing us. I don't want him to be an assistant ref. I want him to enjoy Disney World or Disneyland, whatever it is. Once we get a fucking team that can win three games in a row, then we can bring no, no, no. Two years after we win three games in a row. Then we can bring Gerard back for some type of coaching role. But until that point, until we score, until we have a positive goal differential and we're winning games, keep Gerard as far from us as possible. He was like the like Bill Simmons. Who's, who's it? Was it Tiki Barber? Tiki Barber for the Giants. Tiki Barber. Where it's like the Barber effect, right? Yeah. The Giants lose Barber and then they go on to win Super Bowls. Yes. We've had the opposite, like that, like Tigbar could never win a Super Bowl, so he was all that was standing in the way. Right. I thought that was kind of gonna that was gonna be like Gerard, but then he left, and we started, you know, right. We started improving, and then he came back, and it all went to shit after that. <laughs> I mean, it's got nothing. To, I feel bad. I immediately regret saying fuck Gerard because I love him. I love everything about him. Yeah. But everything everything's going wrong for us at this point and i just blame the fourth girls at this point <laughs> so i do want to i do want to end this on a on a positive note uh, as tough as this will be you got a positive note so i i think we have some positive some positive notes um the positive the main positive being the fact that despite all of the shit that's gone on liverpool part 1 are going to wembley so <laughs> that's true. So that, that, that's a positive. So Liverpool's going to Wembley. I, I think it, it has the opportunity to be a, a you know a little bit of a, a springboard for the club. Now, if we go to Wembley and fucking embarrass ourselves against City, then it you know it's it ha- has the potential to do the opposite as well. And just completely demoralize everyone, <laughs> just like Villa did last season. Um, although uh, losing to Manchester City would be far less embarrassing than losing to Villa. But um, fucking Villa fans screaming, "Who are you?" <laughs> at us, your tavern. <laughs> but um, I, I think 
thinking about because I, you know, the last time we were in the League Cup final, we were playing Cardiff, so slightly easier opposition, but um, <laughs> you know, we we had the chance to win a trophy in a season where we were pretty much garbage, um, and, and we got it done after some very tough like situation, yeah, some some tough situations that we went through. So, anyways. Um, the chance to win a trophy is big, despite the fact that we're a dog shit team. Part two is that, that gives me, that is like a positive is we are on pace right now to not make the Europa League, which I mean, all things considered, I think Here's, if we finish outside of the outside of the European places, we have a better chance at making top four the following season. Because here's a problem, though. Yeah. What happens when we win Capital One Cup? Oh shit! I forgot about <laughs> that. Fuck! And you know what? Fuck Jose too, because Jose brought that up, and I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Damn it! So okay, fuck lose, lose, fuck okay, so lose. <laughs> The plan is lose the final to City. Yes. Lose the Capital One Cup final. Finish outside the top seven. Don't go to Europe. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Here's the plan. Okay. Here's the plan. We beat City. Beat City. Because fuck City, too. Yeah, fuck City, too. I agree. And then we win. We have to. Then you have to win the Europa League. And go to the Champions League. If you, League. Win, you win the League, you better win the Europa League. Because otherwise... You can see, like, Klopp, what it, what Guardiola comes in for City, and he's like, you know, you better watch out for this schedule. Like, you have to – there's a difference between seeing it on a calendar yeah. and actually being involved in the shit that Klopp has had to deal with right. of a game every three days. Yeah. So if we win – if we beat City – this is the problem. Like, we, we want to win a trophy. Right. Klopp doesn't need a trophy at this point. If this was Rodgers, he's got to win that trophy. Right. But if we win the Capital One Cup, we have to win Europa League because we're not going to get top four. We're not. I mean, Leicester's going to get a top four spot. Yeah, I'm going to say like Leicester's going to get top yeah, four. Yeah, they're spot. going to the Champions Arsenal, League. Arsenal, like, no of course, asked. is going to get a top four spot. City's going to get a top four spot. The only and then, way I mean, that, the only way that Leicester's not going to the Champions League next season is if they somehow fall all the way to fourth. And then Chelsea mm. wins the Champions League. Well, wait. <laughs> what if Leicester's? What if Leicester is in fourth, and we win the Europa League? Do we still knock them out? I I think we do. I'll take that. I would be much happier. That's for Leicester fans. I would be much happier. Here's here's my idea. Like. We we ran I ran the Twitter poll. Hundred percent, hundred percent would prefer Leicester to win the league than anybody else, and I'm right on board. I would say Leicester wins the league, like that. Yeah, that does wonder for us, especially like the pro rel argument that's doesn't true. exist anymore. If Leicester if Leicester wins the league, it blows. Then that's gone. Water. It's gone. It's gone. The so Leicester wins the league. Did he get second? Yep. Arsenal get third. I would say Arsenal gets fourth, uh, just tradition's sake. I, I'm torn because <laughs> the fact that they went the fourth on Groundhog Day is the funniest shit. 
that has ever happened. That, I, that was great. That, that was, was great. great. But here's the problem. Like Arsenal, like Arsenal's a top club. Yes. Like as, as painful as their fan base are, Arsenal's a top club. They're part of the big four and they should be. Tottenham is not. No. And the fact that Tottenham is arguably the best team in the Premier League right now. Yeah. Like on paper, at least they're the best team on paper. (laughs) Hurts. Like they're, they're like they're in third right now. What? Like three or five points behind Leicester, but they've got the best goal differential. Right. And goal differential is arguably one of the best predictors in terms of the title, how teams will, will fare at the end of the season. 13, 14 is a perfect example of that. Exactly. Because goals for in the end didn't matter. It was all about goals against. So, goals differentials a bit. And Tottenham right now is even beating City. I think City by two. I think there are twenty five. City's at twenty three. The fact that Tottenham's doing so well right now and they don't deserve to do well because they're Tottenham, (laughs) I would be much much happier. You've got a, a friend. I, who's your friend that's a he's Tottenham my, fan? He's too. my neighbor. And now oh, talking, talking. Does he listen to this right now? Can no. he hear me? So talking, <laughs> talking to a Tottenham fan, you'd have no idea that they were like challenging for the title. Um, and that's that's the the saving grace of Tottenham right. fans is that they don't know. It was like us in thirteen fourteen. Right. Like we had, we're not going to we, talk. Yeah. Like if Arsenal's in first place, you never hear the end of it. Right. If Tottenham or us are in first place, we're like, don't jinx it, don't. <laughs> right, and that's and so, yeah. With with him, it's it's not. You would have no idea that Tottenham were even good, or even in the top half. Like based yeah. on how he talks, he's like, uh, like they're gonna do what Tottenham always does, like blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting because because Tottenham, having watched a fair amount of their games having a a neighbor who's a Tottenham fan um they like Leicester they're not that good like that like when I think look at our team look at Tottenham look at Leicester like what when I think what's the difference when I think about 13-14 it's honestly depressing because the Liverpool team of 13-14 would smash this league to pieces my god like we'd be like 40 points clear um and I know that's a little depressing to think about, but I think it also highlights like the amount that the league has just dropped in quality, like hardcore over the last three seasons. It's been awful. I'm, um, and I'm interested to see when Guardiola comes in, yeah. and I'm sure maybe United deserve Mourinho because that's like the the holy trinity of things that I could hate. Right, but. I'm interested to see if you've got the most money in the world, arguably poten- the potential to have the best players, and you've got all the top managers. Right. If you've got Klopp, if you've got Guardiola, if you've got Mourinho all right there, and you're still not making it, making it out of the group stage in the Champions League, yeah. then what? Like what's going on? Like there's there's got to be something no, like, else happening. Yeah, there's got. I mean, like we're we're like ro- logical research based people. Like what is happening yeah. when all all the markers that we're looking at are saying you should be the best league in the world? And don't give me the bullshit of parity or anything else, because if it comes down to it, having parity in a league should give you better opposition, should make you better prepared. Yeah. To face clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, who are facing kind of like bottom feeders, right? And 
not necessarily lesser leagues, but leagues where there's not, I mean, what Watford has the purchasing power of like AC Milan right now. So why, so why are all these other clubs faring better than us? That's maybe that's something we need to dive into over the summer whenever it hits is the premier league balance to other clubs or other leagues in the world. Yeah, because I mean, if Barca's playing, you know, the Oviedo's and the and the Granadas and or, or the Gary Neville's of the world, <laughs> yeah, or Valencia's, apparently, <laughs> um, you know, why do they step up to the plate and you know thrash Bayern, you know, or or um, or other top clubs, you know, are taking English English clubs to the cleaners, and we say it's because. English clubs have to play better teams throughout the season, but that doesn't, it literally is counterintuitive. That makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense from a sporting objective no. that playing better teams would make you worse off when you play <laughs> a better team. Other... <laughs> yeah. Makes no sense. So um, just to, to wrap things up, I guess the plan, the plan here is, Win the Capital One Cup, but if you do, you've got to win the Europa <laughs> League too. Got to win the Europa League, and then Leicester finishes. Leicester wins the league, and uh, Tottenham finishes fourth. Tottenham finishes fourth, and we knock them out of the Champions League by winning the Europa League. Um, important to note that Tottenham had that happen to them when Chelsea won the Champions League, <laughs> and Tottenham. That was the only, the only saving grace about because that fucking Chelsea team did not deserve to win that Champions no. League. <laughs> not, not. But the fact that stretch. Tottenham got knocked out of the top four was the only saving grace <laughs> of what was an abysmal, an abysmal Champions League that year. Oh, absolutely. But. Uh... Yeah, if you've made it this far, then you're right there with us as far as anger levels. <laughs> um, <laughs> or Gross is in. That's that's pretty good. That's got to be some kind of two red gringos record. I think so. Normally I top off at two or three, but, you know, I think one, this Gross was for the players. Right. <laughs> this Gross was for management in our transfer window. Right. This girl's was for the owners. <laughs> okay. And then this final and fourth one was for all those goddamn betting accounts <laughs> that we've seen popping up for the fans on Twitter, too. Uh, four Grolsches, four worthy causes. Four Grolsches, two gringos <laughs> on shit season so far. Uh, well, thank you guys for, uh, for tuning in. If, uh, if you like this, then you're a psychopath. Um <laughs> Just like us. So uh, if you're into more psycho random bullshit, then subscribe to us on iTunes and apparently watch on Periscope so I can consume hot dogs. Um, Please do. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with another episode. Hopefully it won't be this number one beer fueled or this angry. Um, Hopefully we won't be driven to this. but if things continue the way they're trending now, then we will be even worse off. We'll be to six or seven Grolsches in the next episode. It's going to be like a bottle of Jack. That's going to be required. <laughs> Just straight, straight whiskey. Um, but yeah, so for, uh, for the two red gringos, this is Phil Bakke with Patrick Staley. Adios. Adios, amigos. 